pastor received a phone call late one night. And he was informed that there was a fire at his church. So he got dressed real quick and drove there where he discovered that the church was engulfed in flames, that it would be a total loss. He stood there as church members gathered around the scene and were hugging each other, crying and sobbing and just consoling each other, praying. When he glanced and he saw this one gentleman off by himself, a gentleman that he had visited a time or two, a a gentleman that he said, you know, I have invited event after event for this soul to attend and he had never once graced the doors with his presence. So the pastor made his way over to this gentleman and he said, you know, I'm I'm glad you're here with us, but I'm a little taken back because, you know, after all the invitations, I've never seen you here. And he replied, well, the church had never been on fire before. I'll let that sink in for just a moment. I know some of you, you know, you're still, your gears are still trying to get going this morning. You forgot your coffee. Now, this isn't the kind of fire that we expect to see at church, amen? No, no, no. That's not the kind of fire we ever wish for at church. But we ought to be praying and in expectation of a Holy Spirit type of fire in this place, shouldn't we? What does it mean to be on fire for the Lord or to be a church on fire? And that's what I want us to consider today. I'm sure that there's been times when you've heard someone say, man, that person is really on fire for Jesus. Or maybe you've even said of a church, man, that church, there's there's a fire, there is a spirit going on there. I want to address, how does that make sense to us biblically? What should that look like spiritually? Because I believe, and, and, I, and I, wouldn't, I would assume that some of you feel the same, that Baptist churches do a terrible disservice, if not belittle, the presence of the Holy Spirit in its place. That God has commissioned that the Holy Spirit has freedom here, and we in our spiritual journey, are learning how to hand the reins over to the Holy Spirit, both in our lives personally and in the life of the church corporately. But as Baptists, we, we, you know, we, we tend to say there, there has to be a process. There has, we, we consider the fruits of the Spirit and we elevate the last fruit of the Spirit as being number one, you know, the, the fruit of the Spirit of self-control, Perhaps it's out of fear of being that church. You know, the the one that overemphasizes the work and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Who has an overblown approach to addressing the Spirit's presence in its worship. So, what we're going to do today is do a, a, a survey of Scripture... And we're going to spell out what our responsibility is so that the Holy Spirit may work, may be given the freedom to work in our lives and in our church. 
So if you're following along with your notes, that my first point this morning is to recognize that God's fire illustrates his presence amongst us. We see this in, in scripture, how he would reveal himself or show up in a physical way. And we, we call this a theophany. One of them good Bible, not really Bible terms, but doctrine type terms, theological terms. Theophany. And the Baker's Evangelical Dictionary defines a theophany as a manifestation of God that is tangible to the human senses. In its most restrictive sense, it is the visible appearance of God seen in the Old Testament period, but not always in human form. Now, it is possible that we overemphasize seeking God out in that visible manifestation. It is possible that we do, but that we are to seek God out in everyday life is not an overemphasis on the subject. But there are times when God will and he has revealed himself. So we're going to talk scripturally for a moment. And there are a list of ways that he has that we acknowledge. Like in Exodus 3 where he revealed himself as a fire within a bush that was not getting consumed or being consumed by that fire. And as he spoke to Moses through that fire. We recognize that one, don't we? In Exodus 13, how he led the Hebrews through the desert in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. Exodus 24, 17 says, To the Israelites the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire. It, it, was, it was seen, it was tangible, it could be seen. The presence of God leading them Guiding them. When Moses built the tabernacle, the first sacrifice in the Holy of Holies, God revealed himself by fire. Kind of coming out from the presence of the Lord, Leviticus 9.24 says. Fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed the offering. And when all the people saw it, I love this part, they shouted for joy and they fell face down. It didn't say that they shot, shouted in fear and fell face down or, or ran away. No, they, they shouted for joy. God is here. God is present. And the proper response is to fall face down before God. He was there. He was present. It was evident. When the Apostle John, in his great vision, saw Jesus... One of the ways that he described Jesus was like having eyes like blazing fire. We're going to talk about that, the refiner's fire, during our session. After Jesus broke bread and revealed himself to the two men that he met on the road, he, they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he talked with us. So we, we, we have this, this, this presence that I might not be able to see God visibly. But his presence is burning within me. Throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testaments, God's presence was represented in a fire 
slash cleansing slash burning slash convicting sort of way. Number two, God's fire represents his power. Now, I'm sure that some of you have heard of the, the, the of thermodynamics before. You've, you've heard that term before, thermodynamics. You know that you wouldn't have gotten here this morning if it weren't for thermodynamics. Because your car engine is built on the principle of taking gasoline and igniting it, causing pistons to, I don't know what, go up and down? Causing a belt to turn, causing an axle to turn, causing wheels to go and to move and for you to be able to have propulsion to get here. Electricity is produced in plants that use gas, natural gas, coal, or nuclear energy. All of it to transform heat into power. That's thermodynamics. And if it weren't for that, your appliances wouldn't have worked at home. That turned on your coffee pot, which allowed you to have the coffee to give you what you needed so that you would be awake this morning. Well, you could say that the law of thermodynamics works similarly in a spiritual sense. Here's what Jesus promised in Acts 1.8, that we would receive power when the Holy Spirit falls on us. A power, a spiritual power. The Holy Spirit living in us is like the fire of God that can empower you to live for God, to to run away from sin, to do great things in the name of God. If it weren't for the Holy Spirit, we would just be a bunch of folks gathering together to say some nice things to one another. But that's not what we are. We are a church empowered by the Holy Spirit to reveal God, to be ambassadors for Christ. As if, as 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21 says, as if God were making his appeal through us. We are integral in God's plan. Be reconciled to God. The Holy Spirit living in us gives us the power to share our faith to forgive those who have wronged us, to walk away from sin and temptation, to overcome the effects of sin, and to love the unloving people in our lives. You know there have been times when you have said to yourself that if you weren't a Christian, that you would have said something to that person in in your life. You would have given them the heretofore and the whatnot. But you know that by the power of God that you were able to bite that tongue. In your own strength, we can do none of these things because Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. Nothing. But with the power and fire of God in our lives, we know that nothing is impossible for God to do. You will receive power.
power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So number three, God's fire purifies, purifies all that it touches. Malachi 3 asks, who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire. And I like this. Or a launderer's soap. I love that verse. And it says that he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. See, that's what fire does, is that it purifies, it cleanses. When, when metal is put to fire, the, the reason for that, the reason why you would melt metal, isn't just to shape it into the, the piece that you need that metal to be, but also to burn away what? The impurities of that metal. Because if you don't burn away the impurities, then that metal is then compromised. And when put to the test, it will warp, it will bend, it will break. And so scripture, scripture tells us that when God does his work in our lives, it is like a refiner's Fire, who's not only molding and shaping us into the people and into the church that he needs us to be for such a time as this, but also to burn away the impurities that once called us their home. 1 Peter 1.16, Peter reminds us that, that of Scripture where it says to be holy for I am holy. We could never be holy without that refining process. And it is a work of God in our lives. It needs to be a welcomed, called upon work of God in our lives. We need, as Jesus said, why he is going to give us the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Because he's the enabler. And he's the one charged with the refining process. God's fire, God's purifying, cleansing agent is recognized when the Holy Spirit falls on the person who believes. Now, sometimes we're open to that process. Other times, not so much. Sometimes we're accepting of the Spirit's conviction Other times we fight against it. When you, through your own reading of God's word, or through a message, a sermon, a devotion, when you come under conviction regarding an attitude, a behavior, an action, a sin that's taken hold of your life, that's the Holy Spirit saying it's time to start the refining process today in your life. Here and now. It's time to burn that thought, that feeling, that emotion, that sin that has taken priority over you out. That's where confession of that sin, that is where, where it starts, where the repentance, where God's word says to run away from that sin. That's when we allow the Holy Spirit to burn the impurities out of our lives. 
Fourth, God's fire captivates the attention of others. David Dykes tells the story of a time when he was pastoring St. Matthew's Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, my hometown. And a fire broke out at his church. And hundreds of people from the neighborhood were gathering around and watching it. And someone on the staff said, more have shown up to watch our church burn than ever came to worship with us. And here's what he said the lesson was. When you have a church that's really on fire, it draws man's attention. People don't go to church because the church is friendly. People go to church when they see the work of God in that church. People don't go to church when you have a calendar filled with nice activities that they and their families can go to. Because you know what? There's always a church that will do it better. There will. There will always be a church that has more resources and more money and better talent available to put on some great programming. But what draws man, what draws people, is when they see God at work. That's what happens in Acts chapter 2. And I don't believe that God would give us example if he didn't tell us or or want us to understand that that is how he works. And in Acts chapter 2, we see it. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. When they heard this sound, they being the people in the streets, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now, here's what I understand that to mean. Is that they were speaking the gospel and the person that was from another region heard the gospel in their ears in their original language and tongue. And it blew their mind. Why? Because these were just ordinary Jews. As we would find out in a couple of chapters, uneducated, unschooled Jews. How could they do such a thing? In fact, it said, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what is going on here? What does this mean? What am I seeing? Because God fell on them and an amazing work was accomplished. And we're told that, what, 3,000 of them were saved that day. And a few days later, 5,000. In fact, it even says at the ending of Acts chapter 2, as the church was organizing itself, they said that they were amazed at the wonders and signs that the apostles performed. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit is given freedom. Amongst its church. Now there are those that that may disagree with me. And you have every right to be wrong. That's okay. You can be. But there are some who would say. Well because we're here. Of course the spirit is here. But is he welcomed here? Has he been invited? And you will find. When I pray every Sunday. That's one of the things that I will always pray. Convict, work, 
fall on us. Empower us. How many times in scripture did the people, or did the spirit show up because the people prayed for that to happen? Well, Acts 2.31, it says, When they had finished praying, the place where they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was easy for them to speak the word of God. What a great verse. When God's people come together and pray and give themselves up, what might we be able to accomplish? You know, like I said earlier, we, we can hire staff. You know, we can put people, we can nominate people and, and, and put them in positions of, of, of service and of ministry. But you know what? If the spirit isn't present, we, we've just put together a, a, a nice activity center, a nice social club. But we are the church of Jesus Christ. We can take the cross off the building at that point. We could put a Y up there. And it would be no different. Being a friendly church does not mean we're a church on fire. Are we a church on fire? Because most churches aren't. And if we were to be perfectly honest, the criteria we use to determine whether or not we're on fire does not line up with what Scripture says. Because being a friendly church doesn't make us a church on fire. It just means we're a friendly church. Or a church filled with activities. But here's here's how I'm defining this. A church that's on fire is a church that's come under a holy conviction. A holy conviction. A conviction for the lost. A conviction for the lost. Do we mourn for what we see going on in our communities, in our families, in the area around us? Do, do we have a conviction I mean, we had a conviction on ourselves. You know, if I, I don't want to stand before the judgment seat and have to give an account for my life and pay the penalty. I'll, I'll claim. What about our relatives and our friends and our coworkers? When we go into our businesses, do we have a conviction over the person that we're working beside? Do we care? Another way to define a holy conviction is a conviction over sin. Do we recognize and understand what sin does in the life of the believer? You know, we, we tout, you know, Jesus has washed away my sin. And then we jump right back into the next one. And the next one. And the next one. Do we have a holy conviction of sin's hold on us and on our flesh? Do we as a church have a conviction over our backslidden membership? Do we care? Do you have a conviction that nothing is more valuable of your time, energy, and focus than your involvement in the ministry of this church? See, I call that a holy conviction. 
Because really it isn't until the Holy Spirit grips our heart and, and causes us to realize what I love more than Jesus, what I love to give my time to more than the church, what I love to spend my money on than supporting the ministry. See, that's when it becomes a holy conviction. In Revelation 3, this is what Jesus had to say of a church that he was about to discipline. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one or the other, exclamation mark. Jesus wishes, he says, I wish that you would either be hot for me or cold for me. And he says, but because you are lukewarm, because you try to, you know, tote the middle line, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Verse 17, you do not realize. Now listen to what Jesus says here. Here's a list. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And he's not saying this to the non-believer, to the unsaved person. He's saying this to a church that they don't realize how wretched and pitiful and poor and blind that they've become. They're not cold. They're not hot. They're just trying to just look like a church. But they're not looking like Jesus. So verse 19, he tells them, he says, be earnest. That means do the work, do what you're supposed to do and repent. I don't want to be that church. Do you? Do you want to be that? Do you, do you, do you, do you want to, to toe that line just enough? Well, you know, I'm a Christian on, at, during these times, and I'm not so much on these times. Or we're the church of Christ. We're, it's evident who we are in these times. But these other times, we're going to... No. There is no one side or the other. You, you either are or you're not. Paul told Timothy, he says, I'm... I remind you to flan, to, I'm sorry, to fan into flame or to stir up, he says, the gift of God which is in you. In other words, there is a responsibility on my part, on your part individually. You have a personal responsibility. Each one of us individually has a responsibility to see to our spiritual temperature. And it isn't something that just happens. Although it could. But if you're just waiting around for the Spirit to just show up, then you're ignoring the very precepts of Scripture when it comes to your personal responsibility. That's exactly what Paul says to Timothy. Let me remind you, keep fanning the flame Keep stirring it up to the Thessalonica church in 1 Thessalonians 5.19. 
He warned the believers in the church there to not put out the Spirit's fire. In your King James, it might say, don't quench the Spirit. In other translations, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Some people don't believe that's possible. But let me tell you, if that was Paul writing it and not the Spirit inspiring Paul to write it, God wouldn't have left it in his word for us to consider this morning. That yes, it is possible that we have so ignored our personal relationship to Jesus Christ so much that it has just become a token, a name badge. Something that we wear, something that we put on on Sunday mornings. Is it possible that we can put out the fire of the Holy Spirit's work in our life? I say absolutely. Absolutely we can. We've witnessed too many stories in recent years of pastors who have publicly denounced their faith in Jesus Christ and walked away from the church. We've seen it in well-known Christian authors recently and, and Christian musicians We've seen it publicly in that way where people have, people's faith has become so cold and so barren. And there are many churches who've done the same where none have been left to Christ, have been led to Christ, where their baptismal pools aren't filled with water but with dust. What do you call them? What are dust bunnies, right? But with dust bunnies. Fire will only keep burning as long as it has fuel and oxygen. Now, I want you to listen to that again because I usually get one good one a day. Fire will only keep burning as long as it has fuel and oxygen. Fire must be tended to. If you have a fireplace in your home or if you're a camper or if you showed up to the social last night putting together a campfire can be kind of fun. Especially if you're standing back and watching the people that are doing it. You get all the kindling together just the right way. You got to provide it with the right amount of oxygen, right? Sometimes you have to get down and blow a little bit. You light that flame, and once it takes hold, then you start putting the larger logs on top of it in such a way to where the oxygen, the, the wind can still blow and still fan that flame and, and ignite the other logs, you don't put that log on there what will happen the fire will go out and I think the same is true in our spiritual walk in Leviticus chapter 6 verse 12 it says the fire on the altar must be kept burning it must not go out Every morning, the priest is to add firewood and arrange the burnt offering on the fire 
and burn the fat of the fellowship offerings on it. The fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must never go out. Now, I believe that there is imagery that's given in the Old Testament that speaks directly to what happens spiritually inside of us. There's a couple of things at play here. You have the fire, you go in every day and you add firewood and you arrange that firewood and the burnt offering. And you take a little bit of the fat of the burnt offering and you pour it on there. There must be something taking place daily to keep that fire ignited. God told the priests it was their daily discipline to keep adding wood to the fire, to keep tending to the fire. And we neglect prayer, Bible study, daily quiet times, regular fellowship with other believers, worship, ministry. When we neglect our spiritual flame, our spiritual fire will eventually dim out. That's what happens when you don't tend to a fire, right? It, it dims out. Now, I'm not saying that you lose your salvation, but what you do lose is the joy of your salvation. You may not lose the security of your salvation, but you will lose your zeal, your edge, your fervor, your desire, your hunger to see God at work in your life personally. Which then translates over into the power and effectiveness of God's church corporately. There once was a preacher who served a little church. He had a great idea to make his point one Sunday morning. It was winter. And so he arrived early enough to turn off the gas pilot light of the furnace. Turned on the fan... So everyone would hear when they got to church that the the fan's blowing, but it was cold. Title of his message, the blower's blowing, but the fire's done, gone out. We can go to church. We can play the game. We can stand and sing the songs and the hymns. We can give, but it's possible the blower's blowing, but the fire's done, gone out. Because we haven't been living daily lives in prayer and scripture, in the word, in fellowship, in ministry. And we expect to show up on Sunday morning and watch it happen. What would happen if we as a collective whole burned with fire? And you just didn't expect those who got up on the stage to. Leonard Ravenhill says, We are suffering from a series of Christianity as dry as dust, as cold as ice, as pale as a corpse, and as dead as King Tut. He says, We're not, We are suffering not from a lack of correct heads, but from a lack of consumed hearts. Tend to your fire. And now let's talk about how you can do that. First, We have to admit 
that the fire's done, gone out. Personally, we have to admit that we've cooled off spiritually. We have to ask God to forgive us and ask him to restore that fire within us again. To stoke our prayer life, to add fuel of his word in our lives, to repent of that sin that might actually be choking the flame and causing it to go dim. Let me ask you, whenever you're at home and you start your fire, why have you done that? Isn't it usually because your house is cold? Isn't that right? House is cold. I'm going to start a fire in the fireplace. And so you, you start the fire, you warm up the house, you go to bed at night, and in the morning you get up. The log's been burned up. You see some smoldering and the house has gone cold again. So what do you do? You put another log on it. You set it on fire again. I'm glad God's word says that his mercies are new every morning. Some of us need to make certain that we're reminding ourselves of that mercy, of that promise every morning. Stoke that fire. Admit. Second, believe that God wants his fire in you. Burning bright in you. Jesus calls us the light of the world. A city on a hill that cannot be hidden. He says we're like a fire on a lampstand. You don't put something over it and hide it. You let it shine. He says in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. We need to believe that God wants to work through us to reveal himself to those around us, those in our oikos, those in our sphere of influence. And then third, we must make a personal commitment that we're going to see the fire in God's church thrive. Or maybe a recommitment to the church to see that happen. In recognizing that what happens here is a direct result of what I do the other six days a week. A recommitment that says this church matters and it deserves more of my time. Now, I didn't say tithe. Although, that may be true in your life and you need to make a recommitment to the tithing ministry of this church. But I said time, as in T-I-M-E, that we're not just coming in and sitting in on a service. But I'm participating in the ministry of the church. If we want to see the work of the Spirit here, then we need to fan our flames personally and then make a commitment to seeing that take place corporately. To the church of Laodicea, Jesus said, I know your deeds. I know what you've been doing. But I also see that you've been neither cold nor hot. And I wish you were one or the other. Now, I don't want to be the cold one. That's not my commitment, is to be the cold one. 
And I don't want that to be your commitment to Christ or his church. Let's not be the cold church. Let's commit ourselves to being church on fire. Fan the flame. Stoke it. Feed it. Give it oxygen. And let's see what God is going to do amongst us. Let's pray.